For anyone who's interested in supporting Ron's Rants, there's a Patreon page. And for those who've already donated amounts towards the podcast, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. It goes a hell of a long way with regards to renewing subscriptions, paying for new software, and ultimately making the podcast be the best it can possibly be. So if anyone's interested in donating, it can be a dollar a month, it can be a dollar in total, it can be a hundred dollars, whatever you feel. There's a link below on SoundCloud. There's also a link on the, my Twitter page. There's a link on Facebook. And any donations, big or small, honestly, would go a massive way in ensuring this podcast keeps going as there are many hidden costs that not, not many people realize. And I really want to make sure that this podcast lasts for as long as it possibly can without the support of listeners. I'm not quite sure if that can happen. But anyway, any support would be greatly appreciated. If not, please just keep listening and sharing as um, I want to keep this going. Thank you. Welcome to the latest episode of Rounds Rant. Today I'm joined by professional rugby player Colin Marsh, or in other words, uh, the clamper. <laughs> so Colin currently plays for Rugby United New York in America. So first of all, how are things in New York, Marshy? Hey Richie, thanks Emil, for having me on. Um, all good here in New York, nice sunny day. Um, the weather's getting a small bit better here, so just Heightened from the sun a bit, my complexion doesn't really suit it, unfortunately. <laughs> no, we weren't blessed. So before we get to the, the heart of the matter, which is your current adventure, so to speak, in New York, I'd like to take you back a few years or several years, as some would say, to your schoolboy <laughs> days. Yeah, the schoolboy days in which uh, many people can recall so vividly. Like casting yourself back, what are some of your initial memories of Michael's, but more so on the rugby pitch and how that eventually allowed you the platform to ultimately eventually go on and, you know, make a profession and make a job out of uh, playing rugby. Yeah. Well, all my memories of, of Michael's are always obviously very positive. Um, just as, as a school in general, I think, well, especially in my time and I'm sure it's still the case. They, they have a really good balance, right. Between academics, obviously, um, and the, the rugby side, but, I think there is an emphasis on on enjoyment and making sure everyone's enjoying themselves. And I think it's pretty tight-knit, um, which when you compare it to other schools, it might not be the case. So, um, yeah, no, all my best friends, well, most of them um, I would have met in, in the primary school or the secondary school, and we're all, we're all still very tight. So, yeah, I have very fond memories all in all. Like, were you one of these mad people? Well, not mad people, but just mad keen on rugby from the get-go. Were you a late bloomer? Um, yeah, no, I would have. I would have started down in Bactiv. My my dad would have played down there when he when he moved up to Dublin from Limerick. So he brought me down when I was six or seven, and we actually had a, a very good team: Alex Kelly, uh, Mark Craig, David Reynolds, a few other a few other lads. We would have we would have all played down there on a Sunday, and then. When I came into Michael's then, um, we would have obviously started playing in the primary school then. And 
I would have, yeah, I would have loved it from the start. I think that's when uh, at that age, just it's very pure, I guess, and you're just so excited to get out to the pitch and, and play with your best mates. Pure is probably the best way to describe it at that <laughs> early age when you've got dads taking the reins as coaches and trying to put their uh, identity on certain underage teams. But leading yeah. on into the senior school, and I often, when I'm having debates or when I did my schoolboy podcast with uh, Gilson and the Bullet earlier this year, <laughs> I always pinpoint about 2007, especially when they won the Senior Cup for the first time. But when you were at JCT level and your coach was uh, skiing or Andy skiing, is, uh, just to be politically correct, like, <laughs> what, were you aware of the sudden change in professionalism and kind of standards across the board? Because, as I said, you would have done 13s. You might have been involved at junior level and second year. But, like, what was it like? Because that obviously is still talked about to this day, that first Jays final of, uh, of Skeen's reign and Alex Kelly's great try and then obviously Andy Conway having uh, the final say. But like, what was that whole season like and especially leading on to your eventual finals to come with senior level, but what was it like to be a part of one of the first teams to really put their stamp in uh, a Michaels jersey? Yeah, um, well, I remember it was a pretty crazy season. We originally started off with uh, Mr. O'Reardon and yeah, he was doing a pretty good job. And how many perimeters did you do? Some... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember we <laughs> we lost. I'm not sorry, we beat Methodist twenty uh, eight. I think we were twenty eight nil up, and then they scored a late try um, when we had all checked out. <laughs> and that's it was like twenty eight seven. So Mr. Reardon made us do seven perimeters um, in front of our parents. <laughs> Um, so that was probably a bit much wrong. Oh. But um, yeah, that was a crazy year. We we uh, we knew there was some sort of siege took place around Christmas. Yeah, yeah a coup. <laughs> um, and then so skiing came in, but he would have been so young. You know what I mean? He would have been maybe twenty one. Yeah, about that. Um, so he took he took over with with this legend of a backs coach, Mike Donovan. He was like really old school, but a great coach, and he was a uh, he was a New Zealander. So, yeah, no, it's straight away skiing's, uh, skiing's just organization really um, was very impressive. And, you know, I still, the funny thing is I still know, know the patterns that we did at junior cup level. I still, I still have them in my head. So that's how well drilled mm. we were. But it was always, it was always very good with detail. And, and yeah, I think just the organization, that was probably with him and Greg coming in, I think that was probably a big, big change in, uh, in mentality in the yeah, school no I completely agree and like being a part of that sudden change and standards and stuff like that and then getting so close in the final leading up to then senior level getting exposed to senior uh, rugby and then obviously Greg uh, being the coach like was there a certain stage did it take until you got to sixth year or was there a certain stage and maybe fourth or fifth year where you thought that maybe being a professional was a realistic option or were you just simply uh, enjoying the moment and taking each, I don't know, pre-season friendly as it came? Yeah, well, I think Greg. So I would have had Greg since I was 13 or so. And um, straight away, he sort of like took a shine into me, I guess. He would have, he would just given me a lot of confidence. At that stage, I was very small, right up until... Fifth year, I would have been very small. Like I would have, uh, I'd have always been the smallest on the team, and so Greg would have always like filled me up with confidence. And even when I probably wasn't, you know, the best player on the team, he would always sort of fill me with chat that uh, that I was. You know what I mean? He would have called me like Carlos Spencer. 
for six years. So I think when when you have someone on the card or saying that to you, it can really uh, it can really help your confidence. Even when, like I said, I was probably too small to be to be that effective until until yeah, I was in sixth year, and then at that stage, I started to put on a small bit of size. Um, and then I was able to play a lot better and and be more effective. Yeah, so I had a good sixth year. And after that, uh, I guess the possibility of becoming, getting into, say, the, the sub-academy the academy became realistic. So it probably wasn't until then that I thought about it. Whenever I think back or even when I chat to Emma or anyone involved in that year, like um, and even as a student in St. Michael's, that SET team, that was pretty much the first team where it was kind of littered throughout with what we didn't know at the time, but future professionals. We saw the likes of yourself. We saw Dan Levy, Luke McGrath, etc. And there was some great games. And I remember the term champagne rugby was being dissed out on those uh, dodgy stands in Donnybrook Stadium. But <laughs> like, what are some of the, the memories? Is there any stories or any key moments in that season where you suddenly thought, because I remember there was actually a great preseason game, whether... I think it was against Black Rock in Michaels and or it could have been the year before, I'm not sure, but like was there any moment where you thought, hang on, we can actually go on and win this, we have a great chance to follow up that win in two thousand and seven and go on and win this game, or was it very much uh Greg McWilliams type, let's take it week by week, let's enjoy the journey and not the <laughs> destination. <laughs> yeah, no, I think we were always very confident in our year. We had uh, we had always done well together. We had a strong year. Miss um, was obviously our captain. Um, guys like Chris Kenna, Paddy Dix, and and Alex Kelly, obviously. Like still to this day, Alex is probably one of the best players I've played with. I don't don't know if you can remember some of him oh, growing freak, up, yeah. but he'd do absolutely ridiculous things um, on a week to week basis. And I remember Gavin Comiskey in one of the reports. Uh, said that he, he turned water into wine, <laughs> which was uh, a bit loose, a bit yeah. much, but um, it was fair at the same time. But then we also had young guys, you know, like Luke um, McGrath and, and Levy was obviously young, but he was still probably one of our best forwards at, even at that age. So, yeah, we had, and we obviously had Greg at the helm, so we were very sort of positive and free-flowing. Um we like probably fancied ourselves that we played played the game the right way, but um, yeah, no, it was really really enjoyable year. All in all, thinking back to that final, and I don't want to try and dig up demons here, but um, unfortunately, I'm in the same boat as well, and so are many other past Michael's uh, lads. Unfortunately, obviously, apart yeah. from this uh, <laughs> this year's crop, thank God. But what like what do you still vividly remember the pre-game kind of antics, the lead up to it, the game itself? Any of the pre-game speeches, um, like what you recall from that day in the RDS? Funny, the one thing I remember, and and me and Luke always have a laugh about it, is actually the when we saw Frank McGrath after the match, um, in the hotel or the post-match reception wherever we were, and we went over to him, and the first thing he said was "fucking awful start," <laughs> <laughs> which I which I think probably summed up summed up our day. Like we just. We were obviously very confident going into it. And then Clongo scored a couple of early tries. And then we just never really recovered. Like Clongos were, were a very different team to us. They had a like a very big pack, like the likes of the Burn Twins, 
Tyburn, Jordan Coughlin, Connor Gilson. So there was a lot of sort of big, big carriers and stuff. Um, so they probably just bullied us all around a small bit um, and their backs played well as well. So um, no, they just beat us fair and square on the day. So there's no complaints at all. Would I be right in saying Prando was involved as well? Yeah, sorry, Brendo was, yeah, was, was their main player. He's, I think he scored two, two tries, maybe. If he was so, uh, a metre from the line, it was pretty much curtains from there. Yeah, I know, it's game over. Below centre. Don't, don't even bother. Yeah. And so how it works now is if you have a good uh, six-year, good SET campaign, you've got Leinster 20s, you then go into sub-academies, academies, Irish 20s, etc. Were you straight away accepted into a underage provincial setup or was it more of a late bloomer type thing or was it after the good cup campaign you got a call from someone with Leinster and they were like yeah I would like you to come and play 20s or get into the sub academy yeah I would have played um Leinster schools and then uh, Ireland schools at the end of the year and then I was into the sub academy and and played a few years at Leinster 20s um our Irish 20s was very good we had there was, yeah, the four tens were me, uh, Jacko, Paddy Jackson, JJ Hanrahan and Jack Hardy. So there was a lot of talent there, but I managed to make it into most of the squads and I got a good bit of game time and stuff. So yeah, I went into the academy then um, after the, the under 20s campaign. Mm. Like what was the academy like back then? So I'm trying to think that would have been back in... 2010 2011 era so were you confined to the academy were you up with the seniors at all initially because i know you went on two or three years later to sign your first senior contract but like what were those first few years like was this similar to what you sometimes see now where half the boys are kind of going to dicey's on tuesdays and kind of winging (laughs) for the rest of the week or was it was it quite professional and quite strict yeah no we had we had a really good crew um the Levy came in with us, obviously, the likes of No, no Reed and Lukey. And then, like, other lads like Geordie Murphy and Conway, guys like that. Um, so we used to have a great laugh together. Um, not too many of us are still around, so, yeah. so maybe too much of a laugh. But, uh, no, it's really good fun. And we were very successful, like, for the for the academy teams. We won, won two B&Is in a row. Um, I don't think we lost a match in a couple of years, so um, it was great fun. Like we would have trained pretty hard, but but enjoyed ourselves as well off the pitch. Mm. Was there any? Because the I know uh, you actually put up a pretty gas tweet with regards to the Leinster A adventure stateside this year. But was there any particular games or even nights out abroad in Wales or? the UK, wherever you went, that stand out when you look back on those uh, tours, so to speak? Um, yeah, I can't try not to stitch. Yeah, don't see, don't but, uh, don't have to name names yeah, or anything no. <laughs> no, I was to be honest, most of the time we'd fly back the nights after. If you were with Lance, you'd fly back the night after. We had one or two away, which was always good fun in in Bristol and, and London. But yeah, mostly it was just on the pitch. It was a really good buzz. We were playing with a very talented team. I'd like to tag for along all those boys, Jack Cone, and we we're all on the same team. So, um, yeah, it's more just a good buzz being successful with those boys. Mm. I actually do think it is a pity that now the like because that used to be quite a competitive thing, and you used to have some pretty good sides and pretty good players um, being exposed to these up and coming players from Leinster and even Munster. 
And I thought that it was taken seriously across the board. And looking back on it, it actually was a good competition. I know AIL clubs, etc., weren't exactly the most pleased with it. But looking back on it, rather than sending 20 lads over to bloody New York on essentially what can only be described as a, I don't even know what you'd call it, a jolly up (laughs) junket, like uh, a life experience rather than a rugby one. A two, really. Kind of makes you wonder why it got disbanded in the first place, but without getting too technical on it. So swiftly move on to when you signed your senior contract there in 2015. So who who would have been the coach at that stage? I think I made my debut under Joe uh, just when he was about to leave, I think. Um, I remember remember coming on for Sexton and, and playing with playing with O'Driscoll and some of those lads at the time. So that was a big... Uh, Sort of wow moment, I guess. But I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have signed my contract probably until a year or two after under Matt, Matt O'Connor. And it's good that you brought that up. Um, like it's it's tough to, I don't know, describe what uh, the golden generation of Lancer is because they keep churning out quality teams. But back then with the O'Driscolls, the Saxons, like what was that week leading up? Was there any injuries midweek? It was very much on the Monday. Joe Smith comes up to you and goes, listen, you're going to be on the bench. You could be making your debut. Like, how was how was uh, the few days leading up to, as you said, what would eventually be your senior debut? Yeah, I think I'd had a good game maybe with the A's uh, the week before. So um, we were heading over to Italy, I think. But for some reason, all the, all the main lads were still playing. And Joe just sort of mentioned it to me early in the week, I guess. And, yeah, I think you are sort of... Uh, you're a bit, uh, it's a bit of a wow moment at the start, but I think especially with him, I remember, you know, you're so well prepared and the team are so well prepared that it's actually probably, an, it's an easy enough job for the 10 because everyone knows their role so much. So um, I think you get a lot of, in any game, I think you get a lot of confidence through your preparation. So I just felt pretty prepared and, and I actually felt ready to go. It's It's interesting thinking back to, even nowadays, what people think of when they hear Joe Smith's name is detail, power plays, like everyone on the same page. And even when I had J.R. and Levy on, they spoke about having to know their roles, but like obviously not having any issues with it, but knowing that if they carried out their roles, more than likely it's going to be successful. But I often hear the term, and it's probably lazy journalism and people on their sofas just screaming at the TV, but... A lot of people claim that that Leinster side a few years ago was a bit more fluid than, say, what Ireland are particularly now. Like, was, if you can remember back to then, like, was Joe Smith very much a three, four phase type of coach that he's like, just get your stuff right for these four or five phases and it'll pay off? Or was there a bit more freedom at that time and how Leinster played? Yeah, it was probably both, to be honest with you. Um, He was obviously put a lot of emphasis on his scouting the opposition and it was that aspect where if everyone knew their role on a on a play we knew where the team knew that that they'd probably make the break and then emphasis on supporting the break but at the same time he put a lot of work into skills you know he, I remember he said when he came over he wanted he wanted them to be the the best passing team in in Europe so I think it was definitely a bit of both I think you have to realize also, like in international rugby, there's very, very little space. Um, so it's a lot tougher to 
to break teams down, uh, especially these days, like the size of some of those teams, look at Saracens, England, Wales, you know, there's not a lot of opportunity. Uh, there's not a lot of opportunity to make line breaks. So um, I think that's definitely an aspect as well these days. Was there anything that particularly shocked you? Like even speaking to some of the lads that you know and I know, sometimes they're like, geez, I didn't think it'd be that physical. I didn't think it'd be that quick. I didn't think whatever the scrum would be this tough. Was there anything that shocked you? Because you'd played, as you said, A rugby, you'd played AL rugby. But was there anything you were like, geez, I need to maybe sharpen up my game here or I need to improve, improve on uh, at an early stage? Yeah, I think, well, I think the higher level you go up, I think it's always just a small bit quicker and a small bit more physical. And obviously the scales are a bit higher. Um, so for me, I guess I was like, I was always uh, fit enough. So I think I just had to put on a small bit more size anyway. So similar to like I was in school, I just wasn't big enough to to say if I had a half break, I wasn't physical enough to say get three. So I tried to put a bit more emphasis on, on my conditioning. Um, and then, yeah, I think just as a 10, obviously, like with game management and stuff, there isn't as much space there. So uh, you just have to make sure you're making you're making the right decisions. I think mm, that's a fair point. And 2015 during the the World Cup and a bit like this uh, the season coming in September and October, it's going to present itself a huge opportunity, especially a lot of the young lads currently at Leinster and other clubs in Ireland. Like that proved to be a massive moment for you because it gave you the the starts and the appearances that were needed for you to get minutes under your under your Body, I can't even actually think of the fucking term here. Under, <laughs> under the belt. Under the belt. Yeah. <laughs> under your body. Like, how sinister can you sound? It's loose, chat. <laughs> um, but anyway, it, it gave you the opportunity to get those appearances under your belt, as I should say. So, like, how crucial of a time was that for you to, as you said, build up the confidence, get the game time, get wins? start with the number 10 jersey and like the team wasn't doing overly well compared to previous years but just how crucial of a moment was that in your career to get consistent game time yeah it was actually Matt had just left and and Leo had taken over um so it would have been Leo and Gerv Gerv's first year um but yeah that was probably my most enjoyable enjoyable time rugby wise at Lancer because um, like you said, I would have, I would have been starred in. We had a sort of young team because the the Irish lads were away at the World Cup, so I would have been playing week in, week out. Um, obviously being involved in sort of making the game plan for the week, and and things were going well. I was playing well, so yeah, no, it was very enjoyable. So that season, looking back, a lot of a lot of people claim it was a good year and a bad year in more ways than one. Results-wise, it didn't exactly go according to plan. But as you said, there was a huge amount of young lads, yourself included, that got given the chance that at that moment didn't exactly get the results that were needed. But in a year or two down the line, it it led to huge success for the club and especially for the coaches like Leo and, and Gerv and the other lads as well. So like, how tough was this? That must have been one of the first times where you felt that you were part of the team but then you also were aware that the outside pressure, the media, even chatting to your friends, like how were you dealing with 
some of the setbacks that kind of the exterior stuff like the media, social media, whatever, um, were thrown at you in maybe a negative tone? Um, yeah, I think like in general, I think I'm a pretty like positive, positive person. And I think I have pretty uh, good perspective. So um, like I think I have good people around me, like friends and family. So um, there's a lot bigger or there's people with a lot bigger problems in the world and you know say if you if you have a bad game or you know if my biggest problem is is playing for Leinster A instead of playing for Leinster or being on the bench instead of starting you know I think in the bigger scheme of things you know I'm a pretty fortunate person so I never uh there was obviously tough days now don't get me wrong but I think I've I've, I had pretty good perspective at the time yeah well Try sub an AO game down in Balnehinch and then play a great one <laughs> game of Barnhold the next day. Um, exactly. Yeah, precisely. So last thing on Leinster was coming to the end and it was an unfortunate way for you with the injuries and the lack of game time. And then you had Joe, you had Ross, you had uh, Sexton as well. So it was very highly competitive position. D- did you see it drawn to its... I don't want to say natural conclusion because it wasn't a natural one with the injury, but like how how tough was this for you to realistically realize that your future probably belonged outside of Leinster in a different club or I know you eventually went on to New York, but like, was there some pretty difficult conversations needed had with friends, family and coaches during that time? Um, not really. It was sort of more of a gradual thing. So I just, I just signed, uh, a new contract and then uh that summer uh Joey had had a had a really good summer and he had sort of just overtaken me um but I was still I was still behind him and then I tore a tendon in my hand so I was out for maybe three or four months with that and then at the same time I think uh Joey had gotten injured as well and maybe Sexton as well. So, so Ross came in then and did did an amazing job. He was very solid, and uh, I remember playing very well. Him playing very well in a couple of the big uh, European games. And while all this was happening, Stuart uh, had just come in. Stuart Lancaster. So, by the time I had come back from injury, um, I was sort of already already fourth choice. And obviously, the two younger lads had built up a lot of trust. So from that point on, it was always going to be a big ask uh, to get back into the fold. Mm. So that leads you to decision time. And I don't know what exactly was going through your head, what offers you had. Like what what was going through your mind? Because there was loads of media speculation, whether you go to another Irish club or if you could go to the UK or else just stop playing rugby at all. Like what sort of decisions did you have to make? I know New York came in eventually. But was there other clubs uh, interested in you? Were you considering maybe stepping away from rugby and going the more traditional, I don't know, business life? Um, like what was your thought process during that month or two period where you were deciding on what's best for you? Um, yeah, well, it was it was a small bit more challenging because uh, I had a serious enough foot injury at the time, so. I'd injured it around Christmas time when usually you'd sort of be trying to pick up another club and then re-injured it sort of in April. So I wasn't actually sure if I'd be able to, say, participate in, in a pre-season in June. Um, so 
yeah, I was chatting to my agent and there was offers on the table. Um, but it would have been more from sort of like the lower um, uh, teams in the Pro 14 or I remember there was an opportunity to play, say, in the ITM Cup mm. or something like that. But like, I think I I do love rugby, obviously, but I think I do have good balance. You know what I yeah. mean? I went to, I got all my college done. I have a decent degree from Trinity and stuff. So it wasn't the case where I was just going to go play anywhere that would have me. It would have to have been sort of the right offer or as it turns out, something a bit different, like something over in New York. So um, when they eventually uh, came in and and uh, offered me that, um, I just thought, yeah, let's go for it, something a bit different. And um, yeah, I hadn't done much travel and stuff, so I was looking forward to, yeah, just a bit more of a new life experience, I guess. Yeah, that's a fair. Interesting point about the, the college thing, because sometimes you've got, 28 year olds with 150 Lancer caps sitting arts exams in the RDS. So it was probably grateful from your uh, own perspective that you got that <laughs> out of the way. Yeah, no, for, for sure. My, my parents are very good, to be fair. They just told me, just get it done. Um, and then you'll be so happy you did. So there was a lot of bluff <laughs> and uh, a lot of very loose assignments. But um, no, I was over the moon to get it done, get it done in the end. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to accuse you, but let's just say a few uh, potential Leinster players I'm aware of are uh, not exactly doing their essays, so to speak. And <laughs> they can uh, see me in course. Yeah, exactly. Um, and on the move to the US, uh, did I know Greg was over there at the time getting his uh, juices flowing with Yale and starting off with the US side. Did he... Did you consult him at any stage or was it more or less the the coaches and the managers from New York uh, that convinced you or did you get second opinions? Yeah, Greg had said, said it to me during the previous year, but I couldn't really remember, to be honest, because it was just sort of general chat. And then once uh, once I was looking for something in the summer, he sort of mentioned it again. I think he's decent enough friends with, with our manager over here, James English. So I think he mentioned it to him and then he got on to me that way. So, um, yeah, like I said, it didn't, as soon as he got on to me, it only took a couple of weeks and then I was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's go for it. Yeah. Envious. And now it's transpired that you had the likes of yourself. You had Ben Foden, you now have a certain behemoth coming across from uh, France <laughs> and obviously Mark O'Keefe, I better throw his name in there. Uh, <laughs> or else I'd be uh, in a bit of bother, a bit of bother, I should say. And what were your initial thoughts? Obviously, the allure of living in New York is great, but as you said, you like to have that balance and you love rugby as well. Like, what were your initial? I'm trying to think your reactions to the rugby culture over there because obviously it's developing and it's it's not exactly up to the levels of say Ireland or England or some of the other major nations, but they've definitely come on leaps and bounds, but. Like, what were some of the things that kind of stood out to you as being maybe slightly different to what you'd experience in Ireland? Yeah, no, the whole the whole rugby scene over here is uh, it's still obviously, especially in New York. We're still it's our first year, so we're still sort of the guys are still getting getting the club off the ground. The owner uh, James Kennedy and and the manager James English are both very ambitious, but playing rugby or any sort of sports in New York is is very tough because there just isn't the facilities 
Um, if you even look at, say, the the Jets or the Giants, uh, American football teams, they, they play out in New Jersey, whereas we're very much based in the city. So, you know, we go to a gym, say, in, in Central Park, then another another place to go get our physio and then we train in the in the evening times in another place so it'd be great at some stage to have sort of our own headquarters uh where we can do all our training at once um but that's probably a year or two down the lines but i think i think that is in the pipeline um in the future Mm. well that's probably one of the more intriguing and interesting parts of being in the league where i think a few years ago i remember reading moles mulayina had joined San Francisco team or somewhere and within a month the contract basically was ripped up and the whole league kind of folded so they've seemed to have learned their lessons in that regard but like is that part of the excitement that yes there are many things that need to be fixed and brought up to the standard that's been set across Europe and then some other countries and especially when you look at the other major sports in America I'm not saying rugby needs to compete with NFL NBA etc but as you said having your own complex to train, go to the gym, do physio, etc. would be ever, like ever so handy to have and it would obviously improve performance, no doubt. But is that part of the intrigue and excitement that you've basically come in and the team is not, well, it is more or less starting from scratch, but being able to kind of stamp, I don't want to say legacy because then it just sounds like some stupid fucking Hollywood film, but... <laughs> Like being part of something that's just begun and seeing the all the possibilities of how it can grow and improve. Yeah, exactly. I do think we can sort of shape the future a small bit. Um, with and obviously the, the the lads in the in the office are always sort of asking my opinion and and say Ben's opinion on on how Leinster did things or how they can improve certain aspects. And I think we've already made lots of improvements. And I do, I do genuinely think the future will be bright over here. There's, there's one or two things that could happen that could probably help the league a lot in the future. Um, one of them would probably be there's a rule at the moment where if you're in college over here, you can't, you can't play with the professional teams. Um, I don't know why now, but mm. I think that sort of. Uh, if they could change that, that would be great because that would get a lot more sort of of the young talent in. And there's some good colleges, co- colleges like uh, Cal Berkeley and and Life University and stuff where there'd be players playing there who'd be in the Eagle squad, but they're not allowed to play in the in the MLR team. So I think every there, there's always a lot of excitement around. Say if you have a young local player playing, similar to what Leinster have. So if they could sort of fix that, I think that would be that would be very big for the league going forward. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I didn't actually know that, and I always thought I was like, "Geez, I actually know a good few players who could have played sub academy or even a one A level back here, and they were off in university." And I was wondering why they're not playing professionally, but that obviously ties it together. And one of the last things on the New York uh, side, or even the league in general, is. Like even a lot of debates back here in Dublin um, with people, including myself, who maybe the best days are slightly behind them. There's a lot of, a lot of <laughs> debates about like what's, what's the standard like and some people debate that it could be very, very high, could be quite low. Like what were your initial thoughts on basically the standard and what could maybe compare it to from a, maybe even just a standard or physical point of view? 
Yeah, like it's extremely physical. Um, like they're well able to hit you if you if you bring it to the line or um, if you're defending and stuff. There's a lot of big boys and a lot of big mm. athletes, sort of ex-football guys or a lot of Polynesian lads over here. So I've been trying to stay away from, <laughs> from all that aspect to that as well. But um, yeah, I think skill level wise, the defenses are pretty loose. That's the that's the one thing. All the games are, are very high scoring. Um, so the structure, the defensive structures probably aren't quite uh, on par with Europe, where you see you know a lot of men in the line. Yeah. Um, not not many in the backfield here. There's it's more sort of like wedge defenses and stuff, and there's a lot of a lot of points scored. Um, I think we play in hot weather as well, so the defenses get fatigued a lot easier. So it's it's easier to attack that way. But the skill level is is pretty high. I've thought um, probably similar enough to to AIL or maybe like the the championship or something. Mm. So now I've been impressed by the skill level. Yeah. And how how are you guys doing? I know you're currently, if I'm not mistaken, in the playoff uh, the playoff uh, picture. You're currently, as it stands, if I'm not mistaken, in the currently in the playoffs as it stands. Am I correct in saying that? Yeah, 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 we're in fourth place at the moment. So, just for the lads who haven't been keeping track of it, are are completely ignorant to how the league works, and this is a bit of a boring <laughs> question. But how is the league structured? Do you play each other once? Do you play home and away? How does it? Uh, how does the league pan out? Yeah, so there's nine teams, and you play each other home and away. So sixteen games and. Uh, bonus points the same as home so because the weather's so cold in New York we played uh, most of our games away in at this say in January February and it's funny we're actually probably a better team away from home because like I said um, we don't have say many many meetings and and things like that uh, when we're over in New York because a lot of the lads would would work during the day Mm. So when we're away from home, we have a lot more time together and we can probably go over a bit more of the detail. So we started the season very well and then had a few setbacks in the last couple of months, but we picked up a good win on the weekend and we have two big weeks now. So if we if we get two wins, we'll be in the playoffs. And uh, if we get there, I'd be, I'd be confident we could go all the way. Well, fingers crossed. And uh, a lot of people here in South Dublin will be keeping their eyes firmly peeled on, uh, <laughs> on what happens there. And... Just from a off the pitch point of view, like what if, as you said, like when you're a rugby player in Ireland, you, you get maybe two weeks, sometimes at best, to go travel the world and then come back and report for uh, preseason training. And obviously, you can't go completely all, all over the place and kind of go over the top <laughs> on uh, your holiday. So, like, what was it like? What what basically does New York have to offer? And then also the great thing about the the league as you pointed out is you get to go to places like San Diego Seattle etc so I'd imagine although it is a professional thing and you want to win the game ultimately on the weekend I'm pretty sure there's some pretty good sightseeing and nights out to uh, be had yeah just just sightseeing (laughs) (laughs) uh, (laughs) no it's been really it's been really good fun um like you said O'Keefe is over here he's a great boy um and a few there's a good few Irish lads 
so we have a great laugh and and the Americans are great boys as well so I think we have we have a good team it's pretty diverse people coming from different backgrounds but we've had a serious laugh we've been to say places like New Orleans um Bourbon Street places like San Diego and it's sort of it's different to Lancaster where here you'd you'd stay over for the weekend so um now that aspect has been great and because it's New York, I've had a lot of people come visit, say, on weekends and stuff. So when you get the time to, to show them around, it's, it's great crack. Yeah, sounds like the, the life balance, as you previously talked <laughs> yeah. about, is in a good work in order. Where where do you reckon the best place um, you've been to, or where's the best place you've been um, in regards to who you've played and the city or the town in which you played? What was the most interesting, to put it? in a political fashion yeah seattle seattle was a very cool city um a lot of culture there <laughs> um Sa- <laughs> san diego is an amazing spot as well i don't know if you've I've been, been to both yeah uh yeah yeah uh very very relaxed down by the by, down by pacific beach and we stayed on a couple of extra days there so for a bit of recovery uh, very enjoyable yeah or in or oh so that that more or less wraps up the formal part of uh, the podcast, Marshy. So the last thing I do is uh, a quick fire round. So yeah, anything that pops in, just scream it out, and um, hopefully, yeah, not not great on the spot here. So I might have to take some time. Yeah, well, just make sure you don't uh, throw anyone under the bus. <laughs> so an easy one to start off. Anyway, your favorite film. Favorite film. Um... Maybe training day. Yeah. Um, I enjoy that. And actually the the Black Rock Syndicus is that kind of film? <laughs> yeah. The Instagram film. Yeah. Um, that that's a short film. Involved. Short film. That's my most recent one. <laughs> um, but probably training day, that was very good. Um good pick. And you're the strangest thing you've seen on a rugby pitch. Uh Alex Kelly probably make where he was in fourth year. Um he made a tearing your guy bleed between the ears because uh, he hit him so hard uh, <laughs> up in tearing your and I think the whole game got stopped for good. So that was uh, that was something I hadn't seen before. Who? So this it doesn't have to be the best coach you've had, but who uh, the favorite coach you've ever had? It's highly probably, controversial as well. Yeah, but anyway. I'll have to plead the fifth, <laughs> but um. I'd have to pick Greg McWilliams, I'd say, just for the just for his energy, I guess, and, and the confidence he gave me. Uh he would have told a lot of people I was a lot better than I was, so um, I'd have to I'd have to give him the shout for that one. Okay. Well done, Greg. So the your favorite roommate, so over the years, who was the roommate where you were like, right, this is gonna be this is gonna be good crack tonight? Um, probably the big boy Craig Cusack. Uh, I lived, <laughs> I lived with him um, for two years in Dublin. So he was a lot of energy for any of your listeners who know him. I'm sure, uh, I'm sure they've come across him. Oh yeah. In, in in rugby, it's probably uh, Luke. Probably Sam Cockcroft. It's always it's always nice when you go away and uh, and you're with one of your one of your best mates. So now uh, we used to always have a great laugh. Yeah, no doubt. So. Uh, the best schools player you faced? It would have to be Conway, yeah. Um, Duncan Weir, we used to call him. But, uh, <laughs> Good shout. <he>, yeah. 
Yeah, he was ridiculous against us a couple of times uh, that that junior cup final, and um, I know he was incredible back in the day, and still obviously is a great player. Yeah. So second last one here, and this actually isn't even my own one. This was sent to me personally via my Instagram message, and I'm sure a lot of people would be interested. So you're you're well renowned for your slang and the use of uh, words that wouldn't exactly make sense to the common man and John Condra, but like, what is your go-to favorite bit of slang or what word would your go-to be? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> um, I'm 27 at this stage. So I think I need to, I think I need to pack up all that sort of stuff. But um, yeah, I guess, I guess I've been going with breather a lot recently. Breather? I've actually, I've stopped calling, I've stopped calling people breather. Really? That's that's it's a just, sign that you're actually getting old and you're growing yeah, up and maturing. No, I, think, I think I have to, Richie, to be honest. Yeah, it's don't we all? <laughs> I've, had a, I've had a good run. Yeah, you have, in fairness. Um, so last but not least, and this is always a shit way to finish it. It's very tough for the for the guests to nail it, but describe yourself in three words. Three words. Um, positive, I guess. Happy and a breathing <laughs> <laughs> strong finish well um listen marcy that that wraps it up and i want to thank you for coming on this is actually the first time i've had someone in the united states come on at a reasonable hour from an irish point of view so it's great not to be getting up at two or three in the morning to do a podcast for once so i speak on behalf of i'm sure most of the listeners that we wish all the best in the coming weeks and we hope uh, you boys get to the playoff and we can see, uh, what is it, Prince Luce, uh hopefully light That's up the semi final and final <laughs> stages. But um, no, listen, thanks a million for coming on and uh, I wish you well in the coming weeks. Thanks, Amir, Rich. It's been a pleasure and, uh, and all the best. Thanks, bud.